This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and terror, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I want to give a huge thank you to the podcast Canary P.I., and Fright Night Wine Fight. They both gave me very positive shout-outs the other week, and it is truly appreciated. And if any of you have seen my postings on either Facebook, Instagram, or the Twitter, you know that I will be posting a bonus episode either Tuesday or Wednesday to celebrate surpassing five thousand streams and downloads and it's all because of you guys and a huge thank you and as I always say there is more to come the episode tonight I have entitled what happens in the dark meaning the two radio shows featured tonight deal with secrets The first, Evening Primrose, from the radio series Escape, revolves around a secret society, if you will. While our second play, Judas Clock, from Inner Sanctum, deals with a young man on a mission to avenge the death of his father from, well, you'll find out. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. Now, our first radio story is Evening Primrose. And this is the second broadcast of this particular story from Escape. And it was performed on August 25th in 1949. The first broadcast was performed on September 12th, 1948. But I happen to like the second adaptation a bit bit more. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Evening Primrose. Suspense, which is usually heard at this hour on Thursday nights, is taking its customary summer holiday. Suspense returns to the air next week on Thursday, September 1st. You are groping through the midnight darkness of a gigantic department store. A hundred eyes are staring at you. 
A hundred hands are reaching for you. And your most urgent desire is to escape. We offer you Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to a fantastic world of night dwellers as John Collier imagines it in his eerie story, Evening Primrose. What's the matter? It's me. Oh, you nearly scared me to death. What do you mean coming in so quiet? I didn't mean to scare you. I thought you'd be asleep. I didn't want to wake you. Oh, Sam, I'm glad you're home. Hey, what's the matter? Oh, it's terrible. you got to do something, Sam. What's terrible? It's this. Just look at this. What's terrible about that? Looks like an ordinary pad of paper to me. That's just it. That's what I thought, too. But it's got writing in it. It's awful. Now, wait a minute. Maybe you better tell me what this is all about. Well, today I went shopping at Bracey's department store. I needed some writing paper, so I picked this up. It was on top of the pile, and I bought it, and I brought it home. So? But tonight when I opened it, I found it's got writing in it. Well, that's nothing so terrible. Just take it back tomorrow and make them give you a new one. No, you don't understand. It's what's written in it that's so terrible. What do you mean, what's written in it? Here, you've got to read it. Ah, Sadie. No, right now. Now, read it. Look, Sadie, I'm tired. I've been bowling all evening. Please, Sam, please. Just read it. All right. Half a peach, Sadie. Sam. October 13th. Today I made my decision. I decided to say goodbye to the world. To get out, leave, break away. And I have... Ah, Sadie, this is... Sam. And now I am free. Really free. Yes, I am free at last. The world is an intolerable place for a poet. I was drunk, starving at my wit's end. And then I had the brilliant idea. I'd escaped to a place where I had no need to earn a living. Where I could write to my heart's content in peace and security. And where everything was free. (laughs) And where is this place? Right under your nose. So close you'd never think of it. I am now living in Bracey's department store. I arrived this afternoon. I had spent three days looking over all of the department stores in town. I decided on Bracey's because of the completeness of their food department. Therefore, this afternoon I entered the store and went immediately to the fourth floor to the rug department and hid myself in the dusty, out-of-the-way corner behind a pile of carpet. After the store closed, I took toad as far as the stationery counter and got this paper, the, <laughs> the writer's primary need. Now, after making my first entry, I'll stroll around the store and get food, wine, the pillows for my bed, perhaps a, a fancy dressing gown. Oh, this is perfect. Here I'll be able to write... Thank you. 
nerve to write this. The whole thing is unbelievable. After the store was dark and completely quiet, I, I crept out and started for the food department. One steps echo hollowly in an empty department store at night, and I, I found myself gliding along the floor on tiptoe, moving as silently as possible. But the sound of footsteps persisted, and suddenly I realized they were not my own. The night watchman. I was in the salon modern, and quickly I seized a mink coat from my hanger, draped it about my shoulders, and stood stock still. I could have reached out and touched him, but he passed without so much as a glance. I, I started to smile, but the smile froze on my lips. I was looking straight into a pair of eyes. Large, flat, voluminous, and human eyes. A dozen feet away. They belonged to a creature dressed as a man, but he was as pale as something found underneath a stone. His hands, hanging motionless at his sides, looked more like the fins on a fish than human hands. Not bad. Huh? For a beginner. Oh, I... I'm... I'm sorry. I... I didn't know anybody else uh, lived here. Oh, yes. We live here. It's delightful. We? Yes, all of us. Don't you see? Huh? Look around you. I looked around and saw nothing. I looked again and saw an old one come clambering out from behind the clock. There were three elderly ingenues, incredibly emaciated, pale as lace, almost transparent, simpering before a perfume counter. A chintzy lady swam out from the curtains and drapes, and they, they came squirming, thick around me, pale, thin, wispy, moving silently, fluttering like gauze in the wind, whispering. A detective, send for the dark men. They were pressing around me, clawing, holding me, their pale faces contorted with venomous inhuman hatred. I... I was, I was paralyzed. All I could do was repeat over and over again. I, I'm not a detective. I'm not. I, I, I'm not a detective or a burglar. I'm, I'm a poet. Then what are you doing here? I've, I've renounced the world. I, I came here to live where I could be uh, uh, alone, away from the world. Why well, then, he's come over to us. He's just like us. Come over to us. I followed their eyes toward the balcony, and the hair on my neck rose again. There, coming down the wall like an ancient spider, clambered an old lady, wrinkled and cracked and initiated. She must have been at least 80, a shadowy matriarch, and the things around me bowed and scraped as she reached the floor and floated toward us. Thank you. 
Very well, we shall see. A poet should find inspiration here. Mr. Snell, Mrs. Vanderpan is our grand old lady. I am quite the oldest inhabitant here, Mr. Snell. Three mergers and a complete rebuilding. But they didn't get rid of me. Where is Ella? Where is my blouse? She is bringing it, Mrs. Vanderpant. It will come. Terrible little creature. She's our foundling, Mr. Snell. She's not quite our sort. Is, uh, is that so? I have been here, Mr. Snell, ever since the terrible times of the 80s. I was a young girl then. A beauty, they said. And poor Papa lost his money. Braces meant a lot to a young girl in those days. So when I wasn't able to have a charge account, I came here to live. Well, that's better than a charge account. I was quite alarmed when others began to come after the crash of 1907. But it was the dear judge. Uh, how do you do? The colonel, Mrs. Bilby. How do you do? Mrs. Bilby writes plays. Oh. And comes of an old Philadelphia family. <laughs> oh, you will find us quite nice here, Mr. Snell. I'm, I'm sure I, I will. And, of course, all our dear young people came in 1929. Oh, their poor papas jumped from skyscrapers. They couldn't bear to be without charge accounts either. Uh, all these nice people live here? Oh, and many more. Oh, here comes Ella with my broth. Come, you stupid thing. Yes, come, Ella, come. I'm coming as fast as I can. On the table over there, Ella. Be careful, those pillows. Oh, but but she is young. Well, of course, she is a little younger than most of us. She's different. She's beautiful. That's right. She's really not our sort. Well, you shouldn't say such things. She can hear you. Oh, that doesn't matter. Mrs. Bilby, please. You'll understand these things better after you've been here a while, Mr. Snell. But it seems to me... Mr. Snell, we have certain rules here. They are necessary for our survival. I'm sure you won't find it hard to observe them. Uh, Yes, but... I should advise that you try. If you do not, it would be most unfortunate, Mr. Snell. Most unfortunate. In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Escape. But first, if you want lots of stars, you won't have to look through a telescope or be hit over the head. All you have to do is tune in over most of these same CBS network stations next Monday night and every Monday night thereafter, and you'll find all the stars. They'll be on the Lux Radio Theater, playing in radio adaptations of your favorite motion pictures. Don't forget the Lux Radio Theater, one of five great shows on CBS every Monday night. And now we return to the second act of Escape and tonight's story, Evening Primrose. October 15th. I plan to quit my hiding place, mingle with the crowds, and leave braces forever. 
But just at dawn, Mr. Roscoe brought me a cup of coffee, which must have been drugged when I fell asleep. And when I awoke, night was closing over the store once more. Later, I had spent my second night here. I saw Ella again. Ella, the pearl of this remote, fantastic cave. She is not like the others. A trifle pale, but otherwise normal and human and beautiful. A child of perhaps 18. She's the only thing that makes this nightmare bearable. October 20. Escape is impossible because of the dark men. Who are the dark men? I don't know. But the inhabitants threaten any transgressor with these dark men. Speaking to the night watchman would be suicide. I'm convinced that neither Ellen nor I could get out of here alive. She and the night watchman are the only real people here. And how the others hate the night watchman. Odious, vulgar creature. He reeks of the coarse sun. Oh, come now, Mrs. Dolby. He, he's really a, a personable young man. He's very young for a night watchman. Mr. Snell, sometimes I wonder about your taste. You must not stay so much to yourself. You must become better acquainted with our way. That's quite true. You must come to the play tonight. We're going to be entertained with one of Mrs. Bilby's tragic comedies. Love. In Shadowland. <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm sure I will. It's really a festive occasion, you know. Wanamakers is coming over. Wanamakers? Yes. The entire colony over at Wanamakers is coming here en masse to attend the play. You mean uh, there are people living in other stores? Oh, dear, yes. Didn't you know? Of course, the best people live in Bracey's and Wanamakers. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby. There are some very nice people at Altman's. I beg your pardon, Miss Spilby. Oh, hello, Ella. Good evening, Mr. Snell. Well, what is it, Ella? Please, ma'am, I'd so love to see you play tonight. May, may I have your permission? Certainly not. You know better than that, you stupid creature. You know where you belong. In the basement by the garbage can. But, Mrs. Bilby... Hush, it's... Mrs. Snell. Ella, you're becoming entirely too forward of late. I'd advise you to watch your step. Remember... The dark man. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Roscoe. I'm sorry, Mrs. Bilby. Excuse me. Well, how can you treat her like that? Why do you always frighten her? What is all this about the dark man? Well, you see... Oh, please, Mr. Roscoe. Not now. You'll spoil our whole evening. I do so want Mr. Snell to enjoy my play. Very well, Mrs. Bilby. Later, Mr. Snell. But I want to know about the... Dark men. Later, later. October 21. I found an opportunity to speak to Ella alone. Last night at the play, I induced a fit of hiccups. As I anticipated, I was sternly reprimanded and told to go and secrete myself in the basement where the night watchman wouldn't hear me. This was exactly what I had planned. I went to the basement... And there in the darkness, among the garbage cans and the rafts, I heard sobbing. Ella. Ella. Ella, is that you? 
wouldn't even let me see the play. Oh, is that all? Oh, Mr. Stowe, I'm so unhappy. Oh, I... No, no, you mustn't cry. You're the only one, the, the only one who's kind. Ella. Ella, why do they treat you so differently? Because I, I'm not like them. I, I didn't choose to come here. You mean you're held prisoner? Yes. You, you see, I, I was only six. I came here on a shopping tour with my mother. I got lost and fell asleep behind the counter. It was dark, and when I woke, they found me. Some of them wanted to send for the dark men because they were afraid I would tell on them. But Mrs. Vanderpath said, no, I could stay and be her maid. Been here ever since. Since you were six, but <laughs> haven't you ever tried to get away? Oh, no, I, I don't know anything about uh, out there. I, I wouldn't know what to do. Besides, I, I'm afraid to take the chance. If anyone tries to get out, they, they send for the dark men. Ellen, Ellen, who are the dark men? Well, tell me. You know how people live in all the stores mm -hmm. at Gimbel's and Bloomingdale's? Yeah, I know. Well, the dark men live at the, the Undertaker's. Good heavens. And whenever someone dies or breaks the rules or when a burglar gets in and sees these people and might tell them, they send for the dark men. Well, that's horrible. They put the body in the butcher shop in the food department, and then the dark men come. Than once. It was terrible. What? What did they do? They go in, put a dead person in. They have wax with them and all sorts of things. And when they're gone, there's just a wax model left on the counter. Then our people put a frock on it or a bathing suit and mix it up with the other wax models in the window and nobody ever knows. Ella, so you, you mean all these dummies around oh, us? Oh, not all of them, but. If you displease these people, the same thing will happen to you. October 30th. Once more, I'm frozen with terror. Not for myself now, but for Ellen. They hate her. Anytime, they might turn against her and send for the dark men. My mind is filled with her. I, I dream of her every day. I live to see her at night. They've managed it several times. They trust me now and let me roam about without interference. Finally, tonight, I, I met her again and said it. Ella, I love you. Charles. I love you, Ella. Let's get married or whatever they do here, and then we can live together in my home in the carpet department. They, they wouldn't dare oh, hurt you. Oh, No, don't look so dismayed. If you like, we'll, we'll go away from here. Maybe maybe we can get transferred to Bergdorf Goodman's overlooking Central oh, Park. Don't, Charles, don't you? You mustn't. But I love you. Please, Charles. Ellie, Ellie, you're not in love with someone else. Charles, yes. Yes, I am. But who? I thought you hated them all. It must be Roscoe. He's the only one that's young enough. Oh, no, Charles, not Roscoe. Especially not him. I do hate them all. They make me shudder. Well, who is it, then? He. Who? The night watchman. No, no, that's impossible. I love him. He smells of the sun. Elma. Oh, it was wonderful, the way it happened. D don't tell him, Charles, or the punishment. No, no. I was careless, and there he was, coming around the corner in the ladies' lingerie department. I was caught. There were only some wax models in there, under things, and there was nothing else to do. I, I slipped off my dress and stood still. I see. He stopped near me. He looked at, at me, and... 
Oh, Charles, he spoke to me. He said, Say, honey, I wish they made him like you on the 8th Avenue. Charles, wasn't that a lovely thing to say? Personally, I should have said Park Avenue. Charles, don't get like these people here. It doesn't matter what avenue. It, it was a lovely thing to say. But what can you do about it? Ella, he belongs to another world. Yes, to 8th Avenue, and I want to go there. Charles, are, are you really my friend? Yes, yes, of course I am. Then I'll tell you. I'm going to stand there again in the lingerie department so he'll see me. And then? Perhaps he'll speak to me again. Ella. Ella, you're only torturing yourself. You only think that you love him because you think he'll take you out of here. But you don't know that he will. And I will, Ella. I've made up my mind. Oh, no, Charles. I couldn't let you do it. Even if I loved you, you couldn't do it, Charles. Why not? Because you really belong here. You've become one of them now. Oh, Ella. Ella, you mustn't say that. It's true, and... Charles, I've got to go. There's someone watching us, I feel. Oh, no, wait, Ella. Goodbye, Charles. No, Ella, come back. Ella. Please, Mr. Snell. You'll arouse the night watchman. Roscoe. Yes. Love can be very upsetting, can't it? You... You heard? Just the last moment or so. Very touching. So, she loves another. Too bad. Who could it be? Could it be that I am the cause of your heartbreak? Oh, you flutter yourself too much, Roscoe. And who? Your judge? Certainly not. The colonel? Hardly. None of those. Not one of the customers? The staff? No, she loved the night watchman. Can you imagine that? She loved the night... Oh. Roscoe. Look, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. It, it's not true. You wouldn't do anything. Tell anybody if... This is a, a secret between us, Roscoe. Huh? Between friends, isn't it? Of course. As secret as the grave. Look, look, she's young. Perhaps he'll leave and she'll forget him. And in time, who knows, perhaps she'll learn to love you or me. Of course, in time. And, and we'll figure a, a way to keep her safe here. Absolutely safe. Now, don't you worry about it. It's almost dawn. Time for bed. Good morning, Mr. Snell. Early evening, November 4. I was a fool. I should have known he couldn't be trusted. He must have gone straight to Mrs. Vanderpamp. This evening, the atmosphere has changed. People flicker to and fro, smiling nervously, horribly, with a sort of frightened, sadistic exaltation. An informal dance in the record department has been called off. I cannot find Ella. I'm going out again now to look for her. Roscoe, what have you done with her? Quiet. Quiet, the night watchman. I don't care. What have you done? Whatever I did, I did for your own good, as well as the good of us all. Wait a minute. What's that? What are those people carrying? Why, it's Ella. She's tied up. They're carrying it. Ella! Ella! Stop it, Mr. Stop it. Let me go. Let me go. No, stop it, Mr. Stop it. You're the night watchman. But they're... They're taking her into... 
into the butcher shop. Hello. Yes, Mr. Smith. Those are the dark men. Midnight. And scribbling this last entry hurriedly. There and there, in the butcher shop, with Ella, the dark man. There's only one thing to do. I'm going to find the night watchman and tell him. He and I will save it if we can. And if we're overpowered, well, I, I will leave this pad on the stationery counter. Tomorrow, if I live, I'll recover it. If I do not, whoever finds this and reads it, Look in the windows. Look for three new wax dummies. Two men. One rather sensitive looking and a girl. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. And her nose turns up a little. Look for us. And then find, find them. Smoke them, them out. Exterminate them. Avengers. Oh, Sam. Isn't it horrible? Wow. We've got to do something. We've got to tell somebody something. Oh, Sam, what do we do? Go. Nothing. Go to bed. But, Sam... Whoever wrote this has sure got a weird sense of humor, hey? Probably some clerk down at Bracey's ought to be fired. But... You mean... You think it's just a story? Are you kidding? You don't believe this stuff, do you? Well, I don't know. I just thought... Yeah, forget it, baby. Snap out of it. I shouldn't leave you alone. You get too many ideas when I go out bowling at night. Oh, Sam. But don't you think maybe we ought to just take it back and show somebody? Nuts. It's not worth the bother. They'd laugh at you, baby. they think you were crazy or something. Yeah. I guess you're right. I guess it was silly. Huh? Forget it. Come on, let's go to bed. I'm tired. Sure, Sam. Golly, you know there for a while. I sure was scared. Well, I even forgot to tell you what I was going to tell you. Sam, I found the cutest dress today, only nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, baby? Yeah. It was in the window at Bracey's. And it was on a beautiful little wax model with blonde hair and blue eyes and a turned-up nose. And there were two men standing beside... <laughs> Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight brought to you Evening Primrose by John Collier. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel. And starred Ben Wright. Featured in the cast were Georgia Ellis, Harry Bartell, Vivi Janis, Wilms Herbert, Lois Corbett, and Ruth Parrott. Music was conducted by Sandy Courage. Next week's Suspense returns to the air with Gregory Peck in a terrifying radio play, Nightmare. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when once again we present a story well calculated to keep you in suspense. You've got a date with a beautiful blonde Monday night. She's my friend Irma, the comedy starring Marie Wilson. Returning to CBS for a sparkling new season of laughter, My Friend Irma is one of the exciting lineup of Monday night shows you'll hear over CBS this fall. 
Marie Wilson is the comic misadventurist, will delight you when her brain goes into reverse with hilarious consequences for all concerned. Remember, my friend Irma returns Monday, August 29th, the same Monday night that Lux Radio Theater comes back to CBS over most of these same stations. This is Bob Lamont speaking. Now stay tuned for Crime Photographer, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now, did that one get your heart racing? Because that was definitely a chiller. Our next radio play is called Judas Clock. And it was featured on the very popular horror and mystery radio series Inner Sanctum. And it starred actor, or famed character actor, Barry Kroger. It was first broadcasted on April 17th in 1945. So, definitely sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to the eerie tale, Judas clock. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host at the squeaking door. Come in, won't you? Well, you're shivering. Cold? Oh. Well, don't let it throw you. Just remember that many are cold, but few are frozen. (laughs) Well, our story to be different tonight is about murder. Murder and a clock. So, if you've got a little time to kill, let's do it now, huh? Why, Mr. Raymond, nobody can really kill time. Well, maybe not, but you certainly can frighten it. Didn't you ever hear of an alarmed clock? Mr. Raymond, someday you're going to choke on one of those puns. And won't that be nice, Mary? Then you can revive me with guess what, Lipton tea. Oh, dear. Must this go on week after week? Why must I talk to the only person in the world who doesn't know the proper uses of Lipton tea? Oh, don't say that. It isn't used to revive people. At least not in the way you mean it. Of course, lots of folks do find that Lipton's makes the day seem brighter. Yes, it sort of helps them through their housework to sit down now and then between meals, as well as at dinner and supper, and enjoy a cup of Lipton tea. And the reason why Lipton's is so satisfying is because of that one little word, brisk. B-R-I-S-K. Tea experts say that Lipton's has a brisk flavor, which means that it always tastes tangy and bracing. It's never flat or wishy-washy. So folks, ask for Lipton tea at your grocer's. You just don't know how good tea can be till you've tried Lipton's. Yes, and when you leave the grocer, step next door to the clockmaker shop and ask him for the Judas clock. If he doesn't have it on hand, just uh, ask him to give you the works. Hmm? (laughs) Yes, the title of tonight's story is The Judas Clock. It's an original radio play by that old clock watcher, Christopher Mayo. Our star is Barry Kroger, 
plays the role of Sebastian Packer. I'm a clockmaker. I carry on the profession my father taught me in London. I like clocks. All that is but one. For 30 years, I've looked for a certain clock and a certain man. The clock is known to collectors as the Judas clock. The man I swore to kill when, as a boy of 14, I closed my father's glazing eyes and wiped the froth of blood from his lips. Last night, I found the Judas clock. Tonight, I may have found the man. I'm told you're an expert clock repairman, Mr. Um... Uh, Packer, madam. Uh, yes, I suppose I am. Well, I have a clock. Mm. Rather, my husband has. And it hasn't run for years. Would you have a look at it? Well, uh, can't you bring it in? Oh, heavens no. It weighs 500 pounds. Oh. One of those huge marble things. Italian Renaissance, I'd say. Marble? Italian? Well, uh, uh, can you describe it further? Well, it's rather unusual. Black marble. Heavily carved with biblical characters. The ivory face has a beautifully etched scene on it. But it's a gruesome one. Gruesome? Uh, what kind of a scene? It's a picture of a man hanging from a tree. Judas! His face is positively ghastly. The Judas clock. I knew without seeing it why the clock wouldn't run. It had been built in Italy for a prince of the House of Savoy in 1598... He conceived the idea when he discovered that his family's treasures included the 30 pieces of silver of Judas Iscariot. The clock was made to run only when the 30 silver coins of Judas were in place in the clock's hollow weights. Fifteen in each weight. And the coins had been in my possession since the day of my father's death. Somewhere inside me, that clock still beats its deep-throated song. And I have but to close my eyes to hear again my father's voice. It's an evil clock, son. As evil as Satan himself. And it's cursed. There is a legend that every man who has owned it has died a violent and bloody death. Well, Mr. Packer, can you well, fix it? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I was daydreaming. Well, yes. I, I, does Mr. Um... Arnold. Uh, Arnold. Does Mr. Arnold know that you're having the clock repaired? No. We've only been married a few weeks, and I'd like to have it working when he comes back to town tomorrow. Sort of a surprise. Mm, yes, I see. Well, I, I'll be there in half an hour, Mrs. Arnold. <laughs> So last night, I went to the Arnold house and found the Judas clock again. I started to work. Foghorns from the East River sounded much as I remembered they did in London. And suddenly, I was back there on a fateful day about a fortnight after the clock had been uncrated by my father. I was in the shop when the man from Scotland Yard stepped in. He walked straight to the clock and stared at it. Good afternoon, sir. Does the clock interest you? Very much. When did you acquire it? A cousin bought it at an auction in Italy. And I'm displaying it for sale and consignment. My name's Pettibone, Scotland Yard. We've been looking for this clock for a month. It was stolen in Italy. Stolen? Yes, Mr. Packer. And worse, murder was done. 
afraid you're involved in a bit of something here. Murder? I'm taking possession of the clock in the name of the Crown. I shall never forget the look of horror on the detective's face a moment later. He laid his hand on the clock's carving, and it froze there, while his face drained white and his eyes bulged. He opened and closed his mouth soundlessly and crumpled to the floor with his hands to his throat. He was still and twisted and very dead. Mr. Pettibone had died of a heart attack the moment he took possession of the clock. I helped Father drag him into the stockroom. Father wanted time to think, so I went to my room. I dozed off only to wake hours later at the sound of angry voices. Well, Cousin Andrew, you've done me a fine turn, haven't you? I've told you I didn't mean to kill the old girl. It was an accident. Don't talk so loud. The boy will hear us. You killed her as soon as you learned she'd made out a will in your favor. Then when you thought it was safe, you saw all her furnishings and sent the clock to me to sell. Very well, I did. You're in it to the ears. I'll go to the police. <laughs> and how will you explain poor, stiff Mr. Pettibone lying in your stockroom all this while? I... Uh... Besides, Timothy, there's nothing to fear now Pettibone's gone. He was the only one who suspected me. Now, you're the only one who knows. I'll create this cursed black monster tomorrow and you leave with it. And will you also create Mr. Pettibone? I... I have a plan. Here, sit down in this chair. Right here. I'll show you how we can solve the whole thing. My young heart beat with a wild dread as I listened. I could only see Cousin Andy's back, but I could see Father seated dejectedly in the chair near the Judas clock, his head in his hands. It was midnight. All the clocks in the shop began striking the hour, and louder than all the rest was the chime of the evil clock. If only then I had known, I might have done something, but the slow strokes beat on. Eight. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And before my horrified eyes, the heavy marble piece leaned slowly from the wall and crashed across my father's back. And Cousin Andy stood facing my father as the clock crushed his frail form and choked him. He made pitiful little sounds, his eyes begging for life. And the murderer just stood his back to me and watch. Thundering sinners, you die hard. Cousin Andy ran from the shop crying for help. He would claim an accident. I raced into the shop. My father was dead. I choked back my tears and I closed the poor staring eyes. I took the coins of Judas from the weights of the clock and ran from the shop, the blood-stained pieces jangling merrily in my pocket. Armed with the notion that the coins were of value, and the definite notion that I must eat, I approached one of the many dingy little curio shops in the Limehouse district. I stepped through the fog toward a shop where a dim light burned in the rear. Every inch of wall and ceiling was hung with curios, old armor, swords, and shields. I would have run out. But a weazened, apish man barked at me from the rear. Well, what do you want? I... I have something to sell. What you got? 
I have the 30 pieces of silver that belong to Judas Iscariot. I'll twist this scrawny neck off you. Pulling me leg, eh? Oh, no, sir. I'm not pulling your leg, sir. Here they are. Oh, I mean, Silver, right enough. Where'd you cop him? Oh, I, I didn't steal them, sir. They they belong to my father. <laughs> A likely tale, that. Will you buy them? Buy him, he says. <laughs> buy him. Get out of here before I cause a bobby or scamp. Get out! Oh, no, give me my coin! Get out or I'll come about and fetch you a sound one! The ugly brute came toward me. He held my coins, clutched in a tight, hairy fist. Before I could move, he had struck me. <laughs> and I hit the wall with a clatter. And then it... It happened again. For the second time that night, the curse of the Judas clock struck. As I hit the wall... My eye caught a metallic glint above, and a heavy object dropped from the ceiling. The man was about to strike me again when the object struck his head. And remained part of him. He fell. His skull split in two by a hangman's axe. I clamped my mouth on a cry and pried the man's fist open. The fresh blood made it hard, but I recovered the coins, and I stumbled in panic through the shop and out into the night. And the fog of London never swallowed a more frightened and lonely boy. That nasty fog swallowing a little boy... That reminds me of a little nursery rhyme. Hickory dickory dock, the mouse ran up the clock. The clock struck two. Look out, it might strike you. <laughs> Heavens, I'm glad I don't own that terrible clock. Oh, don't say that, Mary. Just think if you had the Judas clock, then time wouldn't hang, Evelyn. You know it would fall, honey. Well, if it did fall and you rescued me, wouldn't that make you a time saver? Well, split my sides with an axe if Mary didn't make with a joke. Well, a very little one, Mr. Raymond. That's true. But seriously, I do have something to say about a time saver. And I'm thinking about Lipton tea. You know, Lipton's is such a handy beverage. It takes a little time to prepare, and it's always so welcome. Yes, its famous brisk flavor makes it enjoyable, not just at your own mealtimes, but between meals and whenever folks drop in for a visit. That's why it's a good idea to buy Lipton's in the larger, more economical size packages. That's right. The larger packages are much thriftier. So you see, it's wise to keep on hand a really good supply of that brisk-flavored Lipton tea. Oh, sure. It'll come in handy to warm up the chills you get from these inner sanctum stories. And, brother, you're going to shiver plenty with Barry Kroger as Sebastian Packer as this story goes on about the Judas clock. I hadn't touched those horrible coins of Judas Iscariot since the day the storekeeper was killed. By now, I half believed the legend that death followed them. I began to feel that the only way I could escape their curse was to find the Judas clock and put the coins back in its weights where they belonged. One day, as I read the notices in the Times, my heart skipped a beat. It said, Auction of Clocks. At Chopin Place, auction room, Saturday at 7. Rare items, one of them, fine Italian Renaissance piece of black marble. Rare treat for collectors, come early. 
interested in something, young man? Oh, why, uh, yes, well, that, that is nothing in particular. Uh, just looking at these splendid pieces. I thought I might stay for the auction. Hmm. Look about. Auction won't start for a bit yet. I sauntered toward the black clock. My hand had scooped all the coins from my pocket. I would have to work fast and noiselessly. My sweating fingers began to unscrew the small cover on one of the weights. I would soon have the coins put back as I thought. Don't. What have you got in your hand there? Let's have a look. No, no, nothing. Nothing at all. I was just examining. Examining my foot? You've got a flock of coins there. You must have taken them from somewhere in the clock. No. Here. No, no. Give them to me. Sometimes when things happen quickly, the mind retains details that would otherwise escape notice. As the men and I struggled, I dropped the clock's weight. It hit a short, round bit of metal directly below it. The man had a vice-like grip on my clenched hand. Blasted little no, wretch. No. I'll wrench your hand off for you. I heard a whirring sound within the clock. And before my horrified eyes, the supporting panel at the front of the clock's base slowly lifted on hinges. The clock was off balance and began to fall forward. I screamed a warning. Look out! The auction man was dead. Mashed to a pulp of bone and blood beneath the clock. As my father had been. I ran to the door and out into the street. I was right back where I'd started. Only now I knew that my father had been murdered by cousin Andy. I walked for miles, trying to pull myself together. I wandered aimlessly, or so I thought. But fate had traced my path before me. Because I was startled to find myself staring into the shop window of a rare coin dealer named Megaroid. I walked into the shop. Mr. Megaroid was a nice little man. He smiled a bit quizzically at my firm belief that I possessed the betrayal coins of Judas. I poured them onto his counter. Oh, I say, you could be right, you know. Oh, these are the right era... I say, suppose they are. Uh, let me put a glass to them. Uh, Mr. McElroy, would they be worth a great deal? Uh, even if they weren't the... Well, let me see, let me see. Hmm? Yes, gracious, yes, they should be worth a great deal as collector's items alone. Well, uh, Mr. McElroy, I, I, I feel that there's something I should tell you about these pieces. They... Uh, yes? Oh, it's not important. Oh, well, now, just a moment. I have a catalogue on this here in my show window. I'll fidget just a jiffy. The coins lay on the counter. I watched Mr. Megaroid run down the aisle. As he approached the display window, his foot caught in an electric wire which lay across the floor. The lights went out and I saw him pitch forward and... Ah! Mr. Megaroid! Mr. Megaroid! The street light peered through the broken plate glass and played across a grotesquely sprawled form in the show window. I needed no more light than there was to see what had happened. The upper half of the heavy plate had broken and dropped flat against the solid lower half. There was no need to ask how he was. No guillotine could have done a neater job. Mr. Megaroid had no head. Who else but death can own the coins of Judas? Tonight, 
I shall find out if Mr. Arnold is Cousin Andrew. If he is, I shall feel no remorse in killing him tonight. Because while working to repair the Judas clock last night, I discovered how my father's accidental death had been well-conceived, diabolic murder. When the right-hand weight reached the floor of the clock on the twelfth stroke of midnight, it tripped a trigger which collapsed the base of the clock and caused it to fall forward. My father had died on the twelfth stroke of midnight. Have you finished, Mr. Packer? Uh, no, Mrs. Arnold. I, I, I shall have to come back tomorrow night. Uh, what time do you expect Mr. Arnold tomorrow? About 11, I'd say. Will you be finished by then? Well, I, uh, I, I think so. I, I'll have to take these weights to the shop with me, though. There's something has to be added to them. Why, of course, Mr. Packer. Mr. Arnold will be so surprised to see the clock running, won't he? <laughs> He'll be very surprised, Mrs. Arnold. in their place within the weights. Not 15 in each weight, but 15 in one and 10 in the other. The other five coins are in my pocket. In another pocket, I have a small 38, although I don't plan to use it. Eight o'clock, and I have a 30-year-old date to keep. Good evening. Oh, Mr. Packer? Uh, yes, but I, I'm closing now. I see you are. My name is Arnold. Just came in from Chicago. Sorry to spoil your little surprise. Or my wife's, rather. You, uh, you surprised her instead? Yes. She had to confess. I wanted to go out, so she had to tell me. About engaging you to repair the Judas clock. You don't want it repaired? By all means, I insist. It's a splendid idea. But what I came for, really, was to tell you that you and I have much to talk about. Oh, do we? Yes. But look, close your place and bring along whatever you need to fix the clock, and we'll talk about it at my place. I'm all set. Let's go. Think you'll have it fixed in time to strike midnight? Oh, yes. Yes, it will strike at midnight. Yes. Well, there we are, Mr. Arnold. Weights are in place. Let's see. Exactly ten minutes before midnight. Set the hands. And just a little shove on the pendulum. So. And the Judas clock ticks again. It's an evil clock, son. Evil as Satan himself. The Judas clock wakes from a 30-year sleep. Hey, Cousin Sebastian. Cousin? What? That's what I wanted to tell you. My wife told me your father owned this clock in London. Oh, I... Well, yes. I was your father's cousin. Your Sebastian Packer, the little boy who ran away that night. Cousin Andy. Yes. I wonder how much you know of that horrible night when your father was killed. Well, I... I know the clock fell on father... I heard the sound from my room, and I, I, I was so frightened. I ran down the rear steps in time to see them carry Father away. He was all covered up. So that was why I didn't find you in your room afterward. It happened so fast. We were sitting, talking. 
The clocks were striking 12. Suddenly, the base of the clocks seemed to cave in and... I know. I bought the clock at an auction a few years later. Had it all fixed. It's good and solid now. <laughs> I saw to that. Yes, sir. Well, I, I, I suppose I'll run along now, Cousin Andy. I'll, nonsense, I'll... nonsense. Uh, let's make up for lost time and get acquainted. Well, I... Come now, I have some fine old port from England here. Have a... Sit down a while. No, 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 not that chair. No? This one's a lot more comfortable. <sighs> it's a funny thing. When you work with clocks, as long as I have, you get to philosophizing about time. That's all. How? Well, here I sit by the big clock, just as my father sat 30 years ago. You know how many seconds ago that was, Cousin Andy? No. Do you? Well, uh, um, 315,360,000 seconds in 10 years. That'd be uh, uh, 9,460,000,000 and... 800,000 seconds in 30 years. <laughs> You've got quite a mechanical mind, Sebastian. Uh -huh. Here, try this port. Thank you. Here's to father. Mm. What's the matter, Cousin Andy? Are you ill? No. Your face is quite drawn gray. Shut up. Well, Cousin Andy, it's late. I guess I'd best go. You know, you, you do look awfully sick. Oh, don't get up, old man. Oh, sinners, I... Here, sit down and relax. Take my chair. It's the more comfortable... Why, you're shaking like a leaf. Now, just sit quietly. I'll see myself out. Thundering sinners, I... Good night, Cousin Andy. Oh, Sebastian. Sebastian. <laughs> Get it off. Sit back in heaven's name. Poor Cousin Andy. You're choking to death. You die hard, too, don't you? It was just a matter of timing. I set the hand a minute fast and the weight didn't touch your clever little spring device till just now because it's lighter by five pieces of cursed Judas money. Rest easy, father. cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. What a fine chime was had by all. Uh, anybody want to buy a large grandfather clock? I'm in the market for a sundial myself. A sundial? 
My, they are old-timey. Mm. Say, Mr. Raymond, if you're afraid of clocks that tick, why don't you try to get hold of one of those old Egyptian water clocks? Oh, Mary, now you're going to tell me that when tea time comes around, the water begins to boil in the clock? Well, that would be quite an invention. Mm. But no, Mr. Raymond, right now I'm not going to talk about Lipton tea. Instead, I'm going to tell our listeners about an important job that lies ahead. A fight that's far from finished. Yes, the battle for Japan. Our government says that this Pacific War will be one of the most bitter and difficult in history. Never before has a nation fought so far away from its own shores. And to support this fight, we at home must work even harder at our home front activities. We must keep on buying more and more bonds, and we must hold on to them. And above all, we must stay on our war job until the job in the Pacific is over. Well, I'll leave you with a cheerful, timely moral. Oh, that goes with tonight's story. No extra charge. Now, you can figure out how many seconds you've lived. All right, that's your pastime. But you can't figure out how many you've got left. That's just, uh, sometime. See what I mean? <laughs> well, I'll see you in just 604,800 seconds from right now. Hmm? Well, that's next Tuesday night at 9 o'clock, of course. <laughs> by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is The Lucky Stiff by Craig Rice. Well, now it's really time to close that there squeaking door until next Tuesday night when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another Inner Sanctum Mystery directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Folks, if you'd like to give the boys overseas a real taste of home, then why not include a package or two of Lipton's noodle soup mix the next time you send them a box of food? Yes, Lipton's has the same homemade chickeny taste as the soup you make right in your own kitchen. That's why it's a thoughtful, welcome little gift to send Lipton's. And as you know yourself, Lipton's noodle soup makes a grand snack. So remember, send a package or two to your boy. And remember to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com well, that's our show for this evening. I want to thank you all for listening, as always. And remember, next week, either Tuesday or Wednesday, I will be posting a bonus episode, which will include the original 
narration entitled She Waited. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970 or on Instagram at radio show nerd excuse me at radio show nerd or on Twitter at radio show nerd one again this is your host Keith the radio show nerd signing off <laughs>